0: Hi there, my name is Noel. I'm one of the pastors here at RIV. And if you've been with us over the last several weeks, you know we are in a series where we're tackling some difficult topics and we're looking at the Bible to see what our position should be on those topics and what our posture should be. And today is probably the one topic in this whole series that you may not have ever even heard of the word that launched this topic. And so, Young Yi is with us. He is our multi and next-gen director here at RIV. And today you're gonna be teaching on epistemology. Mm-hmm. Now, that's the study of insects, correct? Uh, not really. <laughs> that would be
1: uh, entomology, mm, which I know? wanted to do in seventh grade. Really? I wanted to study that. yes, oh, yes, that's yes, a story yes, for another, yeah. Day. Yeah, another but, day. So what yeah. is
0: epistemology?
1: Uh, man, in short, I would say epistemology is the theory or the study of knowledge uh, in, in relevance to reality. Okay, so it's basically can we know stuff? Can we know put stuff? put it on the low yeah. Right? yeah, can we know stuff? How do you know stuff? Yeah. What is reality in that sense? Yep, and, yeah. and
0: I think that that's something we're, we're dealing with with AI, mm-hmm. we're dealing mm-hmm. with that, with with just the myriad of different uh, opinions and, and for the first time in history, knowing history coming in from all different places in the world. Yeah. And so that's a huge yeah. topic. Why, why did you want this one?
1: I, th- I think one thing that you can um, say about the world we live in right now is this whole thing of like, everyone's an expert. Mm. And if everyone's an expert, then no one's an expert. Mm. And if everyone's an expert, then knowledge is coming from every direction. And especially with social media, you have all these yeah. different voices. So how do you decipher what is, what is the right and true knowledge rather than just opinions? Right, right? So. and how does
0: this ology hit with a whole bunch of other ologies?
1: Um, that's a great question. So you have things like aletheology. So the study of truth or the theory of truth. Um, you have ontology, um, which is, which again, dives into reality. Um, and so you have, they're all like siblings with one another and they all kind of morph in, and kind of come in together, uh, as again, just how do we perceive reality in the now?
0: Right. And so I'm, I'm guessing that alongside the, the topic of Discussing whether we can know things comes the topic of whether it's okay to doubt or mm. how doubt mm-hmm. plays into our yeah. knowing of things. Yeah. Are, are you addressing that at all, or yeah. have you thought about that at all? I think
1: so. I think, or I am, um but in the sense of not like, oh, like is God real, or, or you know, like does God exist? I, I think there's obviously people that will wrestle with that, but it's more so doubt in the sense of like. Can I actually trust this information that I'm taking oh, in? Yeah. Because there's like 10 different voices that will say the contrary or agree, but slightly be different. So it's that type of doubt. It's well, a little I, different. Did,
0: I do think that's huge in our culture today because yeah. if I don't trust the source mm-hmm. that I'm getting the information from, it yes. doesn't matter what they say or, exactly. or yeah. how well it can even be proved. I just, yeah. I don't believe it. Yeah. Absolutely. Right? Yep. Wow. Well, I'm looking forward to this yeah. message. This is going to be a heavy one. So, yeah. literally, get your notebooks out right now because that's what this one's going to be. And I'm sure a lot of questions are going to hit. So, if you have any questions that pop up during this message, please just take a picture of that QR code or go to Rivchurch.com/questions, and we're going to have another one of our um, night of conversations. And Young will be part of that that night of conversations along with a whole bunch of other people, uh, pastors, teachers, other people from our church family, and that's going to be on October. October 25th, which is a Wednesday, at our Rio Town venue at 7 p.m. So uh, be there, send in your questions, and here we have Young Yi.
1: How are you guys doing today? Good morning, good to be with you guys. Um, like uh, Pastor Noel said in that video, uh, my name is Young, uh, and I am our multi and next-gen director. Um, we are actually just going to dive right in. So if you have your Bibles open, um, please turn to, excuse me, Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, and then we're going to jump down to verses 15 through 17 to start this very (laughs) heady topic of epistemology. Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, this is what the word of the Lord says. It says that the Lord God had planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there He placed the man he had formed. The Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Jump down to verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Let me uh, pray for our time this morning as we talk about this idea of epistemology. Um, Would you join me in prayer? Lord, help us this morning to um, process your word. Father, I don't know what um, baggage we are all walking in with this morning. Um, there's so much out there that forms and informs uh, what we believe, what we perceive to be true, what we perceive to be real. Um, and it affects not just our relationships with one another, but affects uh, who we are becoming as disciples and apprentices to Christ. So I pray, Father, that as we dive into your word today, that our minds would be sharp this morning, that the spirit would illuminate your text to us, that the coffee we drink today would would kick in um, and (laughs) help us to be attentive to your word, Lord. Um, I pray, Father, for our church family this morning, um, that we would perceive what we perceive to be real, that we would check it with your word, that we would check it with your spirit, that we would check it with community, with friends and family. Help us, Lord, in this way. Uh, We pray this, Lord, in your son's name. Amen. Um, So sometime last month, um, I was just doing what anyone in the Midwest does. I was just reading my local Irish news. and. Uh, and so I was just, you know, browsing this, the news, and this, this uh, funny article popped up about some Irishmen, right? And this happened last month in September, um, and, if, and it was this man named David Kennedy, so if, if you can see this picture, right? So this guy, his name's David Kennedy, and he's holding this rock, and behind him you can clearly see that there's a hole there, Uh, And what this man ended up doing was he called his local news uh, in Ireland to report this, what he calls a a once-in-a-lifetime extraterrestrial event, okay? And what he's holding there, he's showing, man, this is the rock that caused this hole that came down from outer space, And he's what local people call an astrophysicist enthusiast, all right? So he's not an astrophysicist, but he's an astrophysicist enthusiast. Uh, And he described this phenomenon as this once-in-a-lifetime cosmic event. What he didn't know was that two days earlier, these two other Irishmen, Charlie Wallace and Peter McAvoy, they dug that hole in the beach. (laughs) And that's them right there, right? So... Because guess what? That's what you do when you go to the beach with your friends, right? And you have shovels. You dig a hole. You dig a really big hole. You dig a really nice hole. Um, And so what (laughs) David Kenny didn't realize was that this hole was actually dug by these two men. There are two different perceptions of reality in this case. Uh, On a more serious note, a few years ago during the 2020 news cycle... I don't know about your Facebook timeline, if you're on Facebook, but my Facebook timeline was flooded with people posting articles that the presidential election was stolen. While also it was flooded with articles saying that Joe Biden won the election fair and square. Two different perceptions of reality. When I was at Michigan State University... Uh, from 2009 through 2014, so five years, uh, I remember taking the CATA bus, right? You take the CATA bus to move around class, uh, from class to class or whatever, and move around campus. And I remember that there was a student who I would see periodically throughout the years on this CATA bus. And over the years, from 2009 to 2014, this individual who started externally looking more masculine throughout the years was looking more feminine, and ultimately transitioned to a female in 2015. When we think about the LGBTQIA conversation and you know transgenderism, there are two different perceptions of reality at play. Whether it is mistakenly calling a hole on a beach a once-in-a-lifetime cosmic event, or believing that your political candidate got cheated out of an election win, or having someone in your life, whether that's a friend, whether that's a neighbor, whether that's your child transitioning between one gender to another, it is important for us to realize that the way that we experience the realities of our lives hinges on the information that we process and ultimately believe to be the knowledge of said topic. Let me say that again. The way that we experience reality in our lives, it hinges on the information that we process and that we ultimately then believe to be the reality, the knowledge of that said topic. Today, as we have met, said time and time again, the topic for today is epistemology. It's the study of knowledge, it's an investigation of what distinguishes justified belief and opinion how do you distinguish opinion to justified belief epistemology it helps us to distinguish knowledge from information fact from fiction justified belief from opinion reality from unreality you see so as you can see here there is an overlap between information knowledge truth and reality. Today is very heady. I'm sorry if it sounds like a lecture. Put on your thinking caps, okay? That's, that's, that's just my, my call to action here for you guys, all right? So before we jump in, I want to just be very clear with you guys this morning what my intentions are, okay? What my intentions are for this message, okay? Firstly, it is to navigate or to help our church navigate our apprenticeship to Christ Jesus in an ocean of information and misinformation, Okay, how do we as disciples of Christ navigate this world that we live in with oceans of information and misinformation? Secondly, it is to prepare our church to kind of future proof it, if you will, okay, to future proof our church as things like AI, as things like alternate reality devices become more prevalent in our day to day lives. This iPhone I have here, right? Everyone in this room has a phone in their pocket, right? The goal for tech companies moving forward is not only to just have an iPhone now in your pocket, but it's to have AR devices in each home. So how do we prepare our church? How do you prepare your kids to interact with things um, that are not necessarily reality? Thirdly, my intention here is that as apprentices to Christ, we must, it is an imperative, I believe, that we must understand the the philosophical doings of our time and age. If we want to adequately prepare, as the Apostle Peter says, to give a defense for the hope that we believe in, and as our Lord Jesus says, while having a gentle and lowly heart posture that his apprentices are to have, how do we adequately prepare? We must understand what the philosophical doings of our era look like. And for me, there was no better place for us, as a church, in my in my opinion here, um, to view uh, this topic of epistemology than the opening pages of the Bible and creation. So we just read Genesis chapter two, and in the garden, um, um, so in the garden of Eden, when you take a look at it, what is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? What is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? That was the leading question for me as I was preparing for our our, our time this morning. Tim Mackey and John Collins with The Bible Project, wonderful, um, wonderful organization, wonderful podcast, would highly recommend uh, listening to their words, their thoughts. They brought up a helpful clarification to this tree. The Hebrew words that are actually used here um, are better translated good and bad. So not good and evil, but good and bad. Because in the Hebrew, the two words that are used here are the words tov and ra. Can you guys say tov and ra? So in Hebrew, it's better translated good and bad, not good and evil. Tov meaning good and ra meaning bad. Because evil, in the English translation, has too much moral baggage, Right? When you think of the word evil, I don't know about you, what I think about comes to mind is Adolf Hitler. I think about 9-11. I think about um, the conflict between Hamas and Israel, right? Evil. When you think of the word evil, you don't think of your microwave that you probably have to clean because you haven't cleaned it in like two months, right? You know who you are. (laughs) But we do think that that is, we know that that's bad, right? Like like when you see your microwave and you hear that your chicken popping in there, that means you got to stop, right? You got to open the thing. Like that's not evil, but it is bad, right? <laughs> Difference in the word between bad and evil. In the English, evil has too much moral implication whereas bad doesn't necessarily have that moral implication. You see? Tim Mackie says this. He says, The creation account in the Garden of Eden is a story of God joining humans to rule the world together in perfect harmony and unity. But in order to rule with God, humanity must know good and bad as opposed to evil. In order to rule with God, Adam and Eve, the first humans, needed to know what the difference was between good and bad. So the tree of the knowledge of good and bad, tov and ra, it represents whether the man and the woman, this is very important to hear, it represents whether the man and the woman will take this knowledge of good and bad on their own accord and what is right in their own eyes, or if they will choose to obey and trust in God's ultimate plan to show them what is good and bad, to distill wisdom to them. You see? You see, our pursuit of knowledge can either be self-serving, or it can be a practice of depending on, I'm sorry, of deepening our trust and dependence on God. Our pursuit of knowledge can be self-serving, or it can be a practice of deepening our trust and and dependence on God in our day and age you can find on the internet to, uh, information on the internet to act as support for whatever outlandish position you might believe in right we all know that person that believed in that one thing and you're just thinking how in the world did you come to that conclusion and they can cite 10 different articles and 5 different YouTube videos that's a middle schooler made right You can find information on the internet to act as evidence for your position. Our pursuit of knowledge can be self-serving or it can be a practice of deepening our trust and our dependence on God. Unfortunately, what we see here with this self-serving posture, we see this happen in the following chapter in Genesis. Tim Mackey, again, last time I'll quote him, he says this, The first misstep in human action is a misguided quest for wisdom. And the knowledge of good and bad. How accurate of a description is that of our day today as it pertains to knowledge? Please look at verse, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Um, this is what Genesis says here. The writer says here, Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you cannot eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, no, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. But about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you will, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil or good and bad. And so the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and she ate of it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then what happened? Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for them The first misstep in human action is a misguided quest for wisdom and the knowledge of good and bad. The woman here has this command from God, do not touch and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She takes the fruit, eats of it, gives it to her husband to eat, and he does as well. Now, let's kind of go through this a little bit. The way the word of knowledge, I'm sorry, for knowledge in Hebrew is understood to be is actually different than how we in the West understand knowledge. Because when you think of the word knowledge, you think of what? You think of like your brain, right? You think of like it's very cerebral, it's very heady, it's very intellectual, very cognitive. But the Hebrew translation of the word for knowledge actually has more connotations of experience. So in, in, in Hebrew, in order to know something, you actually must experience it. That's how the Hebrew people understood knowledge. So in the case of the woman and man gaining knowledge in the story, is not through this, like, where are my millennials? Millennials? Millen- uh, millennials? Yes, yes, yes. So Jimmy Neutron, right? When, when he had, right, he had this, like, oh, brain blast! And he's like, you know, whatever, right? And like, and, like, he, like, finally got it, right? Or he had this rush of information coming to his brain, right? If you're not a millennial, you don't know Jimmy Neutron, you're missing out. Anyways, so... <laughs> So it's not like this brain blast that, that Adam and Eve have when they eat from the fruit, right? The experience of eating the fruit, the experience, and this is important, the experience of pursuing knowledge apart from God is what they're finally experiencing, They're experiencing separation from God, doing things in their own way, doing things with wisdom as it pertains to how they see as good and bad. It's experiencing what the pursuit of their own interests apart from God is like. The woman and man's knowledge was the experience of living this life apart from the dependency of God and unity with God. God, I did a quick little Instagram questionnaire uh, to prepare for this, and I asked my friends, "What is the difference between information and knowledge?" And most answers mentioned that information is just noise; it's data points; it's just—it's very kind of ethereal in a sense, right? It's concepts, and knowledge is what happens when that information is applied to their lives. A lot of my friends. Uh, I think like 70 of them responded to it. That's, that was like the main thread, the difference between information and knowledge. Dr. Kuba Glazik, a forensic scientist from the University of Connecticut, he claims that the difference between information and knowledge is experience. Modern day researchers are just finally figuring out the difference between the two when the Hebrew, ancient Hebrews, they knew the difference between the two already. And it is precisely what happened with the man and woman as they took the fruit, had just a taste of it, and obtained wisdom and knowledge on their own accord to satisfy their own desires. They experienced, they knew the knowledge of what it was like to live apart from God. They had just a taste. The women and men had information from God to not eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and bad. They knew this, right? They had this information, this data point from God, but they had just a taste of the fruit. Not just of the fruit, though, but of pursuing knowledge um, <laughs> with self-satisfying motives, and it warped their reality from God, God's reality, and being perfectly unified with him. What other parts of our lives do we experience this? Well, we know we have this information out there of, hey, we probably shouldn't dive into that realm or experience that thing because there is just too much information out there that shows that something negative will happen in our lives, that it will have a negative effect in our lives. For example, we have the information on what pornography usage does to the human brain. And yet to have just a taste, or experience of watching pornography. It can warp the reality of human dignity and sexuality from God's reality of human dignity and sexuality. We have information that no political candidate can actually save us from the woes of our society, but to have just the taste of what it's like to throw your allegiance to them can warp our reality of what God meant when he said, you shall have no other gods before me. You see, when we have just a taste of knowledge apart from God's reality, we flirt with the possibility of no longer just tasting, but feasting on tainted knowledge which feeds that alternate reality. Jesus had similar ideas um, back in his day If you look at Matthew chapter 6, this is what Jesus says. Verse 22. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? What is the information that you seek, that you pursue after, What is the information and the knowledge that you're pursuing to just reinforce this reality that you want to live in that may actually be apart from how God wants you to live life, how he wants his people to live their lives? So what happens if we do pursue this type of alternate reality in our lives? What we deem to be true, so true, so tight-fisted on these things that we want to be true, that seem to go against what God wants for his people, what happens when we chase down these rabbit trails? Well, we call these things echo chambers, right? Maybe you have friends and family members that are in echo chambers. Maybe you yourself have found yourself in an echo chamber, right? And what happens in echo chambers, if that becomes very prevalent in society, is exactly what happens in our day-to-day as what we see Happened between the woman, the man, and God. Genesis 3, verse 8 through 10. What does it say? Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. The knowledge of good and bad, the desire to pursue wisdom in what they deemed to be right in their own eyes, what did it lead to? It led to exactly what we see in our society today. It led to division. The moment the man and woman pursued wisdom and knowledge of good and bad on their own terms was the moment when mistrust and division developed between these two. Let me ask you guys a question. Who have you lost in the last three years? Who have you lost in the last three years? Because I've lost a handful of people. People I deeply respected. Who have you lost in the last three years? I've lost relationships with a few people in my life who i respected so deeply. And yet, the, 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 the spirit of this world, whether it's through politics, whether it's through conversation about race and ethnicity, or all these other hot button issues, right? Somehow became a wedge in between our relationships. Who have you lost in the last few years? That when you see the person randomly around town, you can just feel that tension. It's palpable, you can cut through it. You see, when we decide what is good and bad, when we take it upon ourselves to define and load up, you know, the different realities that we want to live in, mistrust tends to follow quickly. We ask ourselves, uh, we ourselves ask of others, can I trust you? Am I safe with you? And others ask the same questions about you as well. And we see that this is the case even between Adam and Eve as they hide from God. This passage in Genesis 3 Is the first time, first time that the word fear is used in the scriptures. God asks, what happened? Adam blames the woman, woman blames the serpent, and the whole thing falls apart. The division happens because Adam and Eve did what was wise in their own eyes. They pursued knowledge according to their own terms. And you see, we we live in a world... <clears throat> where information and knowledge is, I'm going to use a very specific word here, okay? We live in a world where knowledge and information is decentralized, okay? Like years ago, you would have, what? I don't know, how many news channels? Like three or four news channels, right? And that was where you would get your information from. And you knew, if so-and-so held to this position, it's because they watched that news channel, right? Right? Now, if I wanted to start my own news channel, I can go on YouTube and call it Young's Local Lansing News, right? And I'll have five subscribers, but I can say whatever I want, right? Information is decentralized. There's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of knowledge out there to the point where maybe you don't even know what to believe in anymore, right? I was on Instagram and, like, I'm trying to get, like, back in shape, you know, whatever. And I'm, like, watching, like, all these, like, fitness influencers. And they're, like, dude, like, don't eat milk. Or, like, other people like, eat milk. Like, drink milk. It's so good for you. Or, like, don't eat carrots. It's bad for you. And I'm, like, I thought carrots were good for your eyesight. Like, what, what's going on? Who do I believe? Right? Information is decentralized. There's so much out there. We don't even know what to do anymore, right? And maybe some of us may even feel overwhelmed that we don't even know how to respond. So we just react. Right? We get our reptile brain, as Pastor Justin says, right? <laughs> so what do we do in a world where the line between information and knowledge are so blurred? Where reality and unreality is defined by the truth that each person believes? If you want to kind of do some of your own studying, just follow the philosophical waves over the last, I don't know, century, century, You know, we had modernism and then postmodernism, And then we are in post-truth. And what's to come is what uh, some are starting to call post-reality. So feel free to follow that along. Another sermon for another time. But we live in a world where reality and unreality is defined by the truth that each person believes. What do we do as apprentices to Jesus Christ? That is very important for us to understand. We're going to come to a close here. And I want to sum up. Some of these thoughts on knowledge and what we do. The posture that we hold, that we'll get to, is this posture of graciousness. But what positions do we hold to to show this graciousness through? Three postures, two, uh, I'm sorry, three positions, two postures, and then we'll kind of land the plane here. First posture is this or position, oh my gosh, I can't speak today. Um, Reality is created on the building blocks of accurate, cohesive, and congruent knowledge. That is a position that I genuinely believe that as Christ followers, we are to have. That reality is created on the building blocks of accurate, so it's nuanced. It's none of this like, I'm an expert overnight kind of thing. You have to study this. It's accurate. It's cohesive. It works together. You don't have contradicting facts, right? And it's congruent. It works with other research, okay? (laughs) Reality is built on the building blocks of accurate, cohesive, and congruent knowledge. Before the fruit was uh, eaten, Eden, the Garden of Eden was perfect, right? God's reality was the objective reference point for how the world was to operate based on the knowledge that he had. Though we live in a world now where there is a plethora of realities to contend with, the Christ follower must believe that God's reality, according to his word, should be lived out or in Jesus' words, as he says, on earth as it is in heaven. And the promise of the Christian, the promise of, I'm sorry, the scriptures, is that we have a hope that one day God's reality will be lived in, in the new heavens and the new earth. Second position, our pursuit of knowledge can either be self-serving or it can be a practice of deepening our trust in God. Before you dig up reasons to prove why you have to be right on that one issue that might not matter that much, ask yourself what happens if you're wrong and why it matters so much to you if you are wrong. Take the humble posture. Take the less self-serving posture Routes. Hear out other sides, and may it be a practice of deepening your trust in the Lord. Third position: it is not worth having just a taste of knowledge that might create an alternate reality to how God wants his people to live and be. Okay? It's not worth having just a taste of knowledge that might create an alternate reality to how God wants his people to live and to who they are becoming in Christ Jesus. I want to steal something from Sinclair Ferguson. He's a Presbyterian preacher, and uh, where he talks about how the enemy, the serpent's invitation to, to, the, to the man and the woman in the Garden of Eden is what? Come, come and eat. Come and eat and take from this fruit. It's okay. You can come and eat. But as Sinclair Ferguson so, so, so um, beautifully points out, when Jesus, towards the end of his life, tells his disciples at communion, at the Last Supper, to what? Come and eat from my flesh. Take, take my, my source of reality. Take who I am. He does, undoes what the enemy tried to do in the book of Genesis. You see, Christ, he desires... To invite you to feast on the knowledge of who He is. Not just intellectually, but what is the, the connotation of the Hebrew word for knowledge? Experience. He wants to invite you to experience reality as it is defined by Jesus Christ. A life that is free from the things that gratify the flesh, that the world would say, no, this is good. But Christ says, no, this is even better. You see? where the enemy would invite us to come and taste, to to live life according to what you view as right and good and bad. Christ says, no, come and feast on the knowledge of who I am. Life in the kingdom, life according to his word. Two postures and we'll wrap it up. The posture of a Christ follower towards someone who lives life in a reality apart from the reality of God should be a posture of grace. And I'm not just pulling this out of some like Christian like goodness or whatever, right? But this literally, when you look at the book of Genesis in the first three chapters, we take a cue from God himself in the story of the Garden of Eden. Because what did God say to, to the man and the woman? If you eat from this fruit, what's going to happen to you? You're going you're gonna to die. But did they die the moment they ate from the fruit? No, if you know the story, what what happened to them? They were just exiled. So they didn't die, but they were exiled. God's grace on their life. In their nakedness, they hid. And we see what what theologians and scholars call uh, in Genesis the proto-evangelion, the first gospel. Because what he does is that he provides Adam and Eve clothes to hide in their nakedness. Meaning he had to have sacrificed something, killed something to provide that clothes for them. The first gospel to hide them from their shame and their guilt of living life according to how they want to live, God extends grace to them in the first three chapters of the book of Genesis. And that is our heart posture as well, as apprentices to Jesus, when we meet someone that wants to live this world, this, live this life in this world, according to a reality that is defined by them, not by the way that God intends for his people to live, for humanity to live, We extend grace as God had done for the the woman and the man. We do as well for the people around us. We remember that there are people behind each and every single one of these ideological battles. Whether it's conversations about LGBTQIA, your political candidate, politics in this world, Israel and Hamas, whatever. There are people behind these ideological conversations May we never forget that. Extend grace to the people that may disagree with you. Lastly, the posture of a Christ follower must be to undo division and to unite. Because that is what Christ does for each and every single one of us who wants to just live in our own little world, live life as we want to. Christ, through his life, Death, sacrifice, and resurrection it says, if you give your allegiance to me, I will give you abundant life. And all, all of us in this room who are apprentices of Christ, we understand, we put aside our own desires, put them at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, I want to follow your ways. Because if, that's what Jesus says, John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so we yield all of our own desires how we want this world to be, lay at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, teach us, show us what you want this life to look like. And he does through his word. And so we lean on Christ. We lean on his spirit. We lean into his word to unite people under the allegiance of Christ and nothing else. Our position is graciousness. And our position, I'm sorry, our posture is graciousness. And our posture is unity. For those of us in this room who are apprentices of Jesus Christ, in a world that would so divided and has so much misinformation, so many different realities, that is how what Christ calls us to do, and who Christ calls us to be. Let me uh, pray for us. Pray for this in our lives. Um. I want to pray this over our church. That people in, Lans- in the Lansing area and beyond would know that the, that the people who, who attend Riverview Church would be people who are willing to extend grace if your life looks nothing like what is written out in the scriptures that people who, who are part of our church family would be the ones who desire unity rather than division. I want to pray that over us, so would you join me in praying Lord that is our prayer. That we would be people who extend the grace of Jesus, that extend your grace, O oh Lord, as you did for Adam and Eve, as you did for us, as you continue to do. I pray, Father, Father, that that through this very like, I don't know, somewhat heady topic, conversation, that we would not miss the posture of Jesus Christ, the gentle and lowly posture, Lord, that you call us to have. Um, I pray, Father, for those of us in this room who may live in a different reality apart from the way that you want your people to live, that you want humanity to live. I pray, Father, that that your word and your spirit would contend with that ideology, with those thoughts, with that way of life. And may our church family be a, a safe space for them to to, to navigate those waters. Um, so help us, Lord. We cannot do this on our own. May our hearts practice neediness and dependence on you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.